Our sermon this morning is going to come from the book of Hebrews. We're going to read some of chapter 11 and chapter 12. And so if you've got uh, the blue Bibles here, it's on page 1008. So Hebrews 11, I'm going to read starting in uh, chapter 11, verse 32, and I'm going to read through chapter 12, verse 2. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Pray with me. Dear God, your word is living and active. Your word is what really gives life. So I pray that your word would come through uh, in my words here this morning. I pray that these the scriptures would come alive to us. I pray that we would uh, hear from you and see you because that is uh, what we need more than anything from me. Would you give us that, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So, we've made it. The last Sunday of 2020. I'd say let's take a big sigh of relief together, but it still feels weird to breathe deeply in a room full of people, so mental sigh, mental sigh together. What a year, right? I mean, never mind just the biggest things. This was the year of Great Britain leaving the European Union, of historic peace accords between Israel and some Middle Eastern and North African nations. This was a year of locusts and floods and famine, apparently. Um, it was also the year of a fire tornado in Cal- uh, California, a waterfall running backwards, that's true, in Australia, um, murder hornets, which are apparently a thing, uh, and some kind of Pentagon release about UFOs. Um, I see you reaching for your phones. Just wait. I, I, you can look it up later. I'll send you a list. Um, so uh, joking aside, I mean, this has been just a, an incredibly heavy year for so many people. Um, we've had the coronavirus, obviously, with all the lockdowns and the economic damage that have come from that in addition to the virus. We've had the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor and everything that came after that. And they're revealing in this political cycle that our country is so deeply divided that we don't even seem to agree on the same reality, let alone the same ideas for governance and how to live together as a people. 
everyone seems to have a general sense that this has been a heavy year. And I feel like Christmas, I heard a lot of people starting to talk about that. But I know that you and people that you know have experienced some very specific, very intense tragedies and sufferings. This has been a hard year. A year like 2020 raises the question, what do we do with the past? I mean, how do we think about it? Should we think about it at all, especially a year like this? And how we try to answer those questions as we wrestle with thinking about the idea of the past will lead us to our foundational beliefs about reality. So it'll lead us to questions about meaning. Is there significance to what happened in the past? Or is it just this kind of chaotic mishmash of physical circumstances and maybe random people's choices we can't control? There's questions about suffering. Do people experience bad things for a reason, like because they're bad people? Um, Is there any resolution or answer to a painful past? And there's questions about God, obviously. Is there someone in control of all this? And if they are, what's, what's happening? What's going on? Because this year has been so unexpected and weird and for many people really hard, we thought we would take the last Sunday of 2020 and the first Sunday of 2021 to talk about how the Christian faith gives us resources to orient us around time. So this week we're going to look at how we as Christians think about the past, what our faith teaches us about how we're supposed to think about it. And then next Sunday we're going to look at how we as Christians should think about the future together. And so I'll just say first that um, kind of as a foundation, uh, one of the assumptions I'm going to be going with and something that I hope unfolds as we go is that Christianity actually gives us resources to reflect on the past, not to obsess over it, uh, not to ignore it, but to reflect on it. And actually we can draw closer to God through reflecting on the past. So that's what we're going to look at together today. The passage that we just read starts in a chapter that's sometimes called the Hall of Faith. This book, the book of Hebrews, was written to encourage Jewish background believers in Christ who were experiencing suffering and hardship that was tempting them to abandon Christ and go back to their old way. And so the author of this book, we don't know who the author is, it's anonymous, but the author writes this to encourage them to uh, stay strong and keep trusting in Jesus. And so in Hebrews 11, uh, this chapter, they hold up person after person from the Hebrew scriptures from the Old Testament And they show how uh, people held on to God by faith, even when they didn't understand what God was doing, even when they didn't see resolution. And so this chapter is about these living illustrations of faith in God. But it also shows us a way to think about the past, including our own past, through the lens of faith. So first, the first thing we're going to look at is that Christianity equips us to trust God with both easy pasts and hard pasts. Christianity equips us to trust God with easy pasts and with hard pasts. So by this point in the chapter, the author has told several stories of faith. So Abraham, Sarah, Moses, these obvious heroes of faith and others. And then in our passage, he says, time would fail me. He says, I don't even have time to write the other stories of faith. And he just starts summarizing them after he lists some names. Uh, So it starts in verse 33. He says, who through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, or made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So these are the like, yeah, faith kind of examples. They're stories of people who experience victory. They experience incredible blessing from God through their faith and their trust in him. And honestly, uh, you know, the, the tone of this sermon, because the tone of this year is going to be kind of more minor key, but there's uh, 
some of us, maybe many of us in this room would look back even on a year like 2020 and say, that kind of feels like my chapter as well, that I experienced, uh, you know, blessings and gifts more than I experienced hardship and suffering directly. So our church itself has experienced relatively few direct effects from the coronavirus, thankfully, um, that y'all have kept supporting us with your giving beyond what we expected through your generosity. And you've also shown incredible generosity and care for one another as a community and also for uh, the city, you know, outside of our church walls. And so those are incredible blessings that we as a church are very thankful for. And so this, uh, a chapter of a life of faith can actually feel like a story of blessing. And so this points us to one way to reflect on the past through the lens of faith, and that's giving thanks to God for the blessings in your life. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So every good thing you have received in your life has come to you by the grace of God. Like our affirmation of faith from earlier in the service says, By God's providence, that means God's providing power, all things come from his fatherly hand. And many of you have experienced good things, even this year, from his fatherly hand. In the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7, we're not going to turn there, I'm just going to summarize the story. God gives the Israelites a miraculous victory over the Philistines. So they were a tribe next to them who had been oppressing them for a long time and sort of mount this big attack to carve off another piece of Israel and take more from them. And so God gives them this miraculous victory. And then after that, in verse 12, it says, Then Samuel, who's a prophet, uh, took a stone and he set it up and he called its name Ebenezer. So Ebenezer is Hebrew for stone of help. It's literally a stone of help. Um, so if you've ever sung the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and wondered what on earth here I raise my Ebenezer means, and if it had something to do with Scrooge, uh, it doesn't. It's from this story. Um, so... Uh, he sets up as tangible reminder of God's helping them in a time that they really needed it. A few years ago, uh, my wife Allison and I started a practice with our community group of getting together at the end of a year and discussing what our Ebenezers would be for the year. If we look back on a chap- this chapter of life, what, would, what physical reminders would we want to give or set up as ways that we would say God has helped us through this time? And it turned out to be this incredibly fruitful practice because people would talk about all kinds of stories, many of them honestly unplanned, some of them even hard, um, but the ways that they saw God help them through a year. So it could be something like the birth of a child or a new job, or it could be um, you know, help through a time of suffering. One of our good friends in Birmingham, uh, which is where we moved here from, died of cancer just a few weeks ago. Um, he was diagnosed with it in July or August, so recently, and he just went on this slow and steady decline. Um, he's not old. He wasn't 40. Um, he was healthy. He and his wife have four kids. So this just, it just happened. Um, they kept an online journal to keep their friends and family updated through everything. And so uh, his wife wrote uh, this, I'm going to read it, from a post titled Ebenezer just a few days ago. So she writes, I lie here in bed now, so tired, and I have no idea how I've lived these months. I have no idea how I lived in a hospital for two months and watched as everything physically familiar about Chris changed. I have no idea how I'd pull up to our house and be as enthusiastic to see our kids as they were to see me. I don't know how I would jump on the trampoline with them and do puzzles and read books. I can reach only one conclusion. I was carried 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to our heavenly father. Thanks be to our good shepherd. He didn't only carry me, he carried each of us, even Chris. Even in Chris's darkest days, he was brought through. I know it. I have an Ebenezer stone. I've got to stop and set up this stone so that I can always look back and remember we were carried. We were carried through the unimaginable. Remember, each day he will carry us. That is what he does. She looks back through the most painful chapter of her life that she's ever experienced. And in many ways, she's, she's not done with it. You know, it's just, there's a lot of things about it that are just beginning. But she says, even in that, through the lens of trusting God as her heavenly father, she can look back and see ways that she was helped through that time and set up an Ebenezer stone. That's what looking at the past through the lens of faith can do. But we don't just trust God with the good or even the help through the bad. Back in our text, the author transitions abruptly from what seem like victories of faith to what seem a lot like defeats. He makes this hard U-turn right after women receiving back the dead by resurrection, this miraculous thing. So let's pick up back in uh, verse 35. He says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's not the way we use that word now. It's different. Uh, They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Belonging by faith to the all-powerful, completely good creator of the universe doesn't guarantee us an easy life or even a happy life by earthly standards. Some of the people alluded to here suffered torture, prison, poverty, and early death as part of God's call on their lives. Their lives got worse because of God's hand in it. Other people who trust God experience suffering that just doesn't make sense and which they're never told how to understand. Um, There's an entire book of the Bible, the book of Job, that wrestles with the question of this righteous man. And it's very clear that he's a righteous man who experiences great suffering. And while he meets God in a special, in different way at the end of it, he never gets an answer. He never gets to understand where that came from. And so for many people, 2020 has been that kind of year. You've experienced hardship that seems to make no sense. Uh, maybe it's economic loss. Maybe it's the loss of a friend or a loved one. But this chapter, and the Christmas can just make it worse uh, with all the celebration that should be and the memories that we have can make it worse. The chapter has been painful. So you're not bubbling over inside with a sense of blessing right now. You're feeling grief, confusion, or fear. If that's you, just please hear me clearly first. The first thing that this passage tells you is that this does not mean God is far from you. It does not mean God has abandoned you. Some of the people God was closest to on earth suffered incredible hardship. God's own son, Jesus, God incarnate, was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Suffering does not mean you are far from God. It may mean just the opposite. And so if that's you, if this chapter of your life is painful or just unresolved, then it can still be beneficial to look for ways that God has helped you. But looking on a painful past through the lens of faith may lead you to something like the biblical practice of lament. 
So if you're like me, uh, you probably haven't used the word lament maybe ever except when you're preparing a sermon on it, so uh, whenever that was for you last. Um, So before I describe it, I want to read you one. So let's turn to Psalm 77, which in the Blue Bibles is on page 488. Psalm 77, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Psalm 77, starting in verse 1. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. This is from the book of Psalms, which is called the prayer book of the Bible. So these are songs that individuals wrote as part of worshiping God. They were songs that communities would have sung together. And this prayer contains questions that almost sound blasphemous to people who believe in the Jewish and the Christian God. The psalmist is under some kind of suffering so bad that he feels he can't be comforted. He's just lying awake at night. His eyelids are held open. And he's thinking about God just makes him moan. He can't sleep. feels like he can't speak. And he's asking, like in verse 8, has God's steadfast love ceased? Are his promises over? A pastor named Mark Vrogup wrote a book on lament called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Uh, It arose first out of his own experience of suffering, which began with uh, their baby dying in his wife's womb just days before she was supposed to be born for no apparent reason. Never learned the reason why. So he writes about pain from experience. And he defines lament this way. I quote, Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Throughout the scriptures, Lament gives voice to the strong emotions that believers feel because of suffering. It wrestles with the struggles at surface. Lament typically asks at least two questions. One, where are you, God? And two, if you love me, why is this happening? Sometimes these questions are asked by individuals. Other times they're asked by entire communities. You might think lament is the opposite of praise. It isn't. Instead, lament is a path to praise as we are led through our brokenness and disappointment. The space between brokenness and God's mercy is where the song is sung. It is the path from heartbreak to hope. End quote. We talked a few weeks ago about grumbling and complaining and how those don't belong in the Christian life. And that's true if our grumbling and complaining lead us away from God. Uh, It's kind of like how gossip is taking an issue that you should bring up to a person for some healthy conflict and resolution and instead kind of taking that to other people. It it breaks your relationship instead of healing your relationship. 
I think that's what uh, the difference is here, is that lament is bringing our struggles and our sorrows and our questions and our pain, instead of leading them away from God, bringing them to God with the understanding that we have a relationship with him, the commitment to try to trust him, even with the difficulty, if we don't get an answer or resolution. God welcomes that. So once I was helping my oldest kid work on riding a bike without training wheels, uh, I was pushing her to go ahead and learn, and she was ambivalent about whether she wanted to be learning at the time or not. Uh, So I'm walking beside her while she's pedaling, and I take my hands off her handlebars, and right away she goes down. Um, so thankfully she wasn't hurt, um, just like you're shaken. And she has two simultaneous responses. First, she starts yelling at me for letting her fall, for being a bad dad. And second, she wants me to pick her up, even while she's still yelling at me. So that's kind of a picture of lament for me. Um, I wasn't mad at my daughter for yelling at me. I understood she was hurt. She was scared, a little shaken. Uh, and I was glad she wanted me to hold her even then. So there are laments, you know, these kinds of prayers all through the Bible. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah, who was one of the people alluded to in the chapter that we read, um, he was mocked, flogged, imprisoned, and probably put to the sword. He wrote a whole book called Lamentations. So these things are in the Bible, among other reasons, because God wants us to know that he wants us to bring our pain to him. That's actually an act of faith. Because if he's not in charge or he has nothing to do with it, then... You know, it's like, what, what can he do to help? But coming to the sovereign God of the universe with our hurt is a way of acknowledging that he is in power, that he has the, the ability to do something about it and at least the, the sovereignty to be over that time to meet us there. So if 2020 has been heavy for you, especially if you're still under it, you may be most helped by reading through Psalms of Lament or by gathering with uh, friends or community members and lamenting to God together. So the Christian faith equips us to trust God with both good pasts and hard pasts. It equips us to trust like these men and women did, that God is in control when we receive blessings and we can thank him for them. And it also to trust that God is in control when we receive hardship and we have to trust him with our pain. If you haven't heard this before, this sound, may sound very strange to you. I don't know kind of what your background is coming in. But the reason why we can trust God with this, the reason why we have the, the confidence and the ability to do it, is actually in the second way that Christianity equips us to reflect back on the past in a relationship with God. And that second way is this, that Christianity equips us to ground our story in God's story. It equips us to ground our story in God's story. So if my story, including my past, is just about me and then I die and that's it, then I'd better hope my story is as pleasant as possible. I want to be born on third base thinking I hit a triple, you know, with a silver spoon in my mouth, on a crystal stair, all the things, and been handed everything that I could want with no disappointment or hardship. And so otherwise, how, what, would, what would my life be like? I've got to have a good life. And if the first half of the folks in the passage we read, they could say they were hashtag blessed, you know, God gave them what they wanted. But then the the people in the second half, if their story was just their story, what a disappointment. But as the passage goes on to say, our stories, including our pasts, aren't just our stories. They belong in a bigger one. And so let's read verses 39 and 40. And all these... 
though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. The word perfect there at the end is often translated complete, and I think that's maybe kind of more in line of what the author's trying to get at. Um, He's not saying that they needed us to become morally perfect. That's something that God does. But uh, that their stories were incomplete. They were missing an ending when they died. They were like one scene from halfway through a movie you watch on YouTube. And like, that seems interesting, but I don't know what's going on. When the writer of this book commends these people for their faith, here's what he means. He means they trusted that their stories were part of a story bigger than themselves. A story that was being written by God himself. So at the beginning of this chapter, the author writes, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he says that faith takes us all the way back to the creation of the world, seeing it not as a mere explosion of matter, but as a deliberate act of a good and perfect king. And so God uh, made a good and perfect world, and he rules it. And after our first parents rebel against that good and perfect king, and sin and death and decay enter the world, then God begins a story of redeeming people from their sin and preparing a way to end sin's power one day. So the people from Hebrews 11 are part of that story, that building, growing kingdom. And in verse 13, uh, it says, These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. So they had promises from God of how the story would go. They had a vague idea of the ending, but uh, they had to trust that their story was part of that story. And so their faith, their commitment to that is what makes them, in the words of chapter 12, verse 1, a great cloud of witnesses pointing to God's story and what it means to live it. And the end of that story has been revealed to us through the coming of Jesus. So if you look at chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is called the founder and perfecter of our faith because he's the one who begins it and the one who finishes it. He's the one who starts the story. He's the one who completes the story. For the joy, the good ending of God recreating the world without sin or death and living forever with his people, Jesus endured the cross. He was sacrificed. He was killed in a shameful way to take the punishment for our own rebellion. And then he was raised to a new life and exalted up to the right hand of the throne of God, the throne room of the universe. So the story ends with the king, Jesus, coming back to remake the world right and to rule it forever in a relationship with his people. With people who let their stories be rewritten by his story here. Christianity equips us to ground our story in that story. We can look back at the great cloud of witnesses who saw glimpses of that story and let it rewrite their lives even when they didn't understand it. We can look back at Jesus' own past, which turns all of our pasts into a story of hope. We can receive blessings or victories or just help with gratitude. We can receive hardship and unexplained pain with trust that there's a good God above it. And we can move forward, like verse 1 says, 
running with endurance the race set before us, trusting that we know what is to come. So grounding our story in God's story doesn't tell us why we received the past we did, but it does tell us that there is a God who is in control of all things, even suffering. It tells us that that God himself was willing to enter into suffering for the good of others, people who didn't deserve it. And it tells us that, tells us that there's a glorious future waiting for those who trust God in this life. This lens of faith allows us to reflect on our past, the easy, the painful, just the mysterious or unresolved, and grow closer to God through that. Pray with me. God, you're in control of all things. Uh, you're in control when we have a world of things to be grateful for. You're in control when we have suffering and sorrow and pain that we don't understand. We can trust that you are in control because you came into the story. You became a human being, a man of sorrows. You became acquainted with suffering, and you even suffered for the sins of people who didn't love you at the time and wouldn't love you apart from your own grace. And so I pray that wherever we're coming from today, that you would help us move toward trust in you. Um, you would help us be able to have that lens of faith by an experience of your grace uh, that leads us to be able to reflect on our past in gratitude or even in lament and to trust you with our future. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.